Welcome back to Cinema Crudite, a side project of Craft Services. What is it? Um, kiss kiss a. Uh It's films <laughs> it's, that we've watched yeah. that we want to talk about. Yeah. I don't know if these necessarily on. fit uh, into... Good one. Uh, yeah. A little carrot? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if these fit necessarily into the mission statement of Craft Services, which is to bring to you a new look at films that didn't possibly get a good look or the right look the first time around, but right. it's more just a cinematic appreciation. I would agree with that. For things that uh, are maybe underlooked, uh, underlooked, overlooked. Over- if you're not looking right at it, if you're looking <laughs> altitudes too high or too low, yes. maybe they're going to come into here. Yeah. And we talked on our first uh, episode of this of about uh, medium cool. Yes. And this isn't supposed to be, a series where we only do films that start with the letter M. No. But the film we want to look at today is the movie M. Yes. From 1931, mm-hmm. which uh, we checked out recently at the Trilon Cinema, yep. which is a fantastic local cinema mm-hmm. that presents rare uh, historical artistic films. Yes. Uh, as, uh, as well as... Um, trash <laughs> cult <laughs> cult's the right word cult stuff yeah, yeah for sure and if they want to sponsor us we're right here yeah but anyway uh yeah 1931 ostensibly is uh when uh, uh m cut came from was released in germany mm-hmm. and directed of course by fritz lang yes written by him and his then wife uh thea von harbaugh and it tells the story well i don't know you tell me what what it tells the story of um m is a story of a Children's serial killer. A murderer. Yeah. Oh, he's he's got a Sauron and a a ring. No, no, that's wrong. Um, But you can see where. Yes. Tolkien got that from. Um. So he's killed quite a few children, and um, the cops are getting fed up. But not only the cops are getting fed up, the uh, the criminal gangs are getting fed up, and the criminal bosses have met together and have decided that they need to catch the murderer so it's uh, a lot of criminals from different walks of life who get together and work together with the beggars of the city to capture uh this criminal yeah this no good who is ruining business for them so that that's the story in a nutshell yeah, um, and it takes place uh, in uh, Berlin, mm-hmm. uh, and it's basically, I'm assuming, I'm not too familiar with uh, styles, and it's hard to tell from their clothes and stuff like that, but right. I guess it's just contemporary. I think it is contemporary, yeah. A yeah. um, lot of smoking. Oh my gosh, there's a ton <laughs> yeah. of smoking in this movie. Yeah, and like cre- different kinds creative of smoking. Yeah. yeah, if you if you made this again today, it would be smoking, um, vaping, yep. uh, vape clouds. Uh-huh. Uh, but in this film, you've got guys smoking cigarettes, smoking a cigar, smoking a pipe, sticking the cigar in the pipe. Yep, uh, sticking uh, taping three cig- cigarettes to a cigar. <laughs> right, <laughs> smoking it, uh, smoking it out of your ear. Uh, under your hat, right? Yeah. I don't know what it's called, but they have these little like triangular paper things that some cigars are in, and like they're they're triangular, like but cylindrical, and um, the Toblerone like, cigar, maybe. <laughs> the, oh yes, the famed <laughs> Toblerone cigar. Yeah, um, but there, at one point, there's a beggar who is looking at his collection of cigarettes right. and cigars and yeah. like they've been smoked to different 
uh, lengths and that sort of thing. Right. Well, I don't think that he smoked them. They're all right. recovered. Yes, exactly. Because it's a scene where all the... But we, it's like the beggar center scene or whatever where we go through all the things that the people have you know, collected in their work. You, know, right. you see it earlier on when you uh, go to the the injustice gang of, of criminals mm-hmm. and they're all doing their things in the pocket. The pickpocket's got like seven pocket watches that yes. he's laying out. But later on, yeah, we get the guys like, I got this sandwich and I got this sandwich and I got this sandwich. Right. And then the guy's like, oh, I got all these cigars, cigarettes. Here's a yeah. good one. Exactly. Uh, yeah. The thing about this film is that it, it's not, it's not overlooked. But I think that it might be overlooked because it's 87 years old now. Sure. And people forget and they don't know that this film coming <clears throat> sort of, at least for Lang, you know, at the end of his uh, time at, in German Expressionist uh, cinema, gave birth to the procedural mm-hmm. or at least prefigured it as we know it right um it's not the first serial killer movie um maybe the lodger might be hitchcock's uh, the lodger might be the first like real serial killer movie okay but um it sort of started that um it's an early example of a film noir mm-hmm. which of course was influenced um by um, expressionism and so it so much of what we expect in, to see in a crime, quote unquote, crime film today right. or a serial killer film today comes you know, from this film. Mm-hmm. And this was made pretty much like right near the tail end of Lang's time uh, in, in Germany. He had right. you know, worked um, in the Weimar Republic. And <laughs> initially, the, the Nazis weren't in power, of course, until Adolf Hitler was uh, elected in 33. Mm-hmm. But they were still, they were around. Yeah. And so... He wanted to make the. He announced that he was going to make this film called um, "Murderers Among Us." Okay, uh, that was the original title of it. All right, uh, and, and it, it, the Nazi Party immediately came to him and said, "You can't make this film because this is about us. This is clearly about us." Wow. <laughs> He's like, "I don't know what you're talking about. This is about serial killers." And they're like, "Right." Oh, okay, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, don't worry about it. Uh, but he had gotten trouble the film before because he had made a film called um, "Women on the Moon." Okay. Awesome. Check that out. Yeah. Uh, and it was all about rockets. And, you know, I think that's actually the film um, where the countdown comes from. Like, why do we have a big countdown? For Obviously, you need to, like, sequence things and know, okay, now we're going to do this. Now we're going to do this. But, like, why do we have this 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, you know, and then blast off? Uh-huh. And it comes from <laughs> that film. Oh, strange. Yeah, because there was no space program back then. Sure. But he was positing the space program. Well, that was a little too close to what like the military was working on in terms of rocket science and things okay. like that. So they came to him and they're like, it's got to go. Gotta, can't do this. So did that film get distributed at all? It still exists, but it was um, somewhere. But uh, it was pulled from theaters. Oh, no. Yeah. That's too bad. So he just, he had basically had enough uh, he also was Jewish on his mother's side, okay. but she converted to Catholicism. Oh, so for a while, he thought, "I think I'm going to be okay here. Like I'm, I don't practice. I'm just a German, as far as people are concerned." Right. But he had been talking to. <laughs> it's funny because he already kind of wanted to get out. His wife uh, Harburg, she was a Nazi sympathizer. Oh, really? And joined the Nazi party. You're like, kidding. Yeah, later on in the 40s. Oh, and wow. so already they're starting to sort of move Diverge. away from each other. Yeah. yeah. And the Nazis came to him and went, all right, look, we didn't like the rocket one. You know, clearly you're trying to get at us with this M movie. But you're a good filmmaker. Want to be the official filmmaker of the Third Reich? And he's like, yeah, I'll have to uh, 
I'll have to think about that, Joe. <laughs> and then as soon as Mr. Goebbels left, he's like, where's my hat? I got to get out of here. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. And he didn't leave immediately, but it's just a scant weeks after that. Like, he basically was off. You know, okay. He went to France and then later on went to America and was like, screw this. This is right. not going to, I don't want any part of this. No. He and, was too high profile. Well, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, whether he was really trying to put commentary on the Nazis in his films or not, it just mm-hmm. wasn't, he wasn't going to get to do what he wanted to do and right. realize his creative vision. And to be honest, this movie, Metropolis, you know, his other films have a lot of social commentary. Yeah. So he would have run up against that eventually. Like yeah. once people are getting marched off to the gas chambers, what kind of films is he going to want to make? Yeah. He's going to make a film about, about a regime that, that yeah, yeah, exactly. So that just wasn't going to work. And no. so he took off and went to Hollywood and made some pretty good films in Hollywood. Um, I'm not sure anything ever really reached the level of something like M. Okay. Uh, which was very popular mm-hmm. as opposed to Metropolis, which was not very popular. Oh, really? Um, it was, ooh, we could do that on craft services. Yeah. But uh, reception was divided and it cost so much money. I bet it cost And a pretty lot much uh, bankrupted uh, the, um, I think it's UFA, the um, studio that he was working for. Oh, boy. Yeah. So he had to kind of like scrape things together and beg people to get this movie made, but it okay. worked out really great. Uh, you described the plot, but we'll continue to kind of talk about the plot as we go. And of course, you know, spoilers for a 90 <laughs> year old movie. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's, it centers around uh, this uh, serial killer um, played by Peter Lorre. Yes. Hans Beckert. And this was Lorre's first major role. Okay. Um, like his first starring role. Before sure. this, he had played um, mostly comedic roles. Interesting. Yeah. Because he's so eerie and kind of creepy looking. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, even later when he would play bad guys, there was still always a, a taste of uh, comedy, comedy to them. Yeah. Okay. Hide, hide me, hide me, Rick. You know? Yeah. <laughs> or uh, when he played, uh, um, what's the character's name? Can't remember the character's name in uh, Maltese Falcon. But No, I don't remember either. Um, would you please put your hands in the air? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, um, and... He's I know this I was looking for pictures, like old pictures. Yeah. And before this, it doesn't seem like how do I put this? I think he gained weight for the film. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Because we were I think we were talking when we came out of the movie about like, wow, that Peter Lloyd blew up, huh? <laughs> he's he's not a small man. In no, in his Hollywood films and when uh random ladies are calling him on the phone to hear yeah. about uh Mad Love, uh right. you know, he's a little svelte little guy. Yeah. But he's, you know, big in this. Yeah. And I think it fits the character. You get the idea of this overgrown, you know, baby, this sort of, you know, childish kind of man. Yeah. um, That we never really learn a ton about. No. Um, And there are a lot of things in this that will become standard for serial killer stories later. Like, why does he write to the police? Because he's flaunting that they haven't caught him yet. He's technically writing to the press, but... Right, yeah. Well, I mean, I think... Yeah, right. But he... Yeah, but, like, does he... You know, at the end of the film, he's got his big thing about how, like, I don't want to do this. And I guess we never... We have to take that at, at face value, but we never really know yeah. if that's just him trying to get out of it. You know what I mean? I like, think it is. Uh, like, he doesn't... Inside, he doesn't really care. But we see throughout the film that he is 
at least tormented by needing to do this. He is compelled to do it. And yeah. how, however he feels about it, we don't really know. Um, and th- th- it's a level of uh, psychological sophistication that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a movie from the 30s mm-hmm. or an early film. So it doesn't really go into it too much, but you are left to kind of wonder uh, about that. Absolutely. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that, because the film never answers the question, because uh, the cops run in. Right. And um, break up the, the kangaroo court at the end. I mean, do you think that he is should go to jail or be put to death? Um, It's a really hard question to answer because, I mean, the criminals pose that if he pleads insanity, then he'll, maybe he'll get out with good behavior and start killing all over again. Which shows a lot which, of faith in the uh, mental health profession. Yes, because what if they cure him and then he won't do it? Right. <laughs> But, I mean, I think that is a definite fear. Like, what if he goes back into society? So maybe he, at the very least, should be in prison for the rest of his life, if not killed. Well, somebody should check this out. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, a serial killer, especially a serial killer of children, that's somebody we want off the street, for sure. He's based on uh, Peter Curtin, who was a serial killer in Dusseldorf. He was called the Vampire of Dusseldorf. Okay. Um, Although Lang says he's not. (laughs) Let me explain. All right. Lang supposedly actually went to a mental hospital um, and spent eight days there uh, interviewing patients. And specifically, um, he had talked to Peter Curtin. Okay. um, And sort of got his ideas, you know, and sort of inspirations from that. Later on in his life, he would say that it wasn't based specifically on Curtin. Um, but that there was a lot of serial killers apparently at the time. Oh, so, great! Yeah, uh, Nazi Germany always bringing great new things to the world. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, apparently there was a lot of like uh, child killings, and this was not like something that would be totally unthinkable uh, for the time. Mm-hmm. And Lang really harps on that. You know, I mean, he the movie begins with us seeing this. You know, t- it's funny because. This is Lang's first sound film. Sound okay. wasn't brand new at this point. It had been around for a few years, but it was Lang's first film with sound. And you would see in Hollywood films of the time, you know, even a lot of them would be musicals or whatever. But mm-hmm. as soon as we got sound, there was just dialogue, 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 dialogue. Uh, right. Here's a song. Here's some music. Mm-hmm. They would just pack it full of all this sound. And Lang is still at this point, he's using it sort of strategically you know and he's using it there are parts where it just drops out and you're just watching something in silence yes and if the person next to you coughs is scratching their chin or something like that you know you hear it but it almost makes it you could have nowadays it would be some Hans Zimmer, some kind of like, you know, affecting uh, tone or or something from the orchestra but it's almost like the silence is, is oppressive you know when he is walking down the street and he's being stalked by all the beggars, you know, who are yes. coming after him, you know, yeah. and they, they corner him in the, in the street and he's running from side to side and he's trying to get away. And it's just like totally quiet or the scene where they call the police in. Um, yeah. And th- there's just, you know, there's like the sporadic whistles of like a police whistle. And then there's just see like a lot in an image that would prefigure what would Nazism. be happening in Germany later yeah. on, we see like lines and lines of these cops just coming down the street and then everybody's sort of like all the ne'er-do-wells presumably are all trying to run and get away. Right. Um, and they like raided different places. Like 
at, at night, like the crocodile den or whatever, which was full of, like you said, ne'er-do-wells. Yeah. Um, and they tried to get out, and then all the cops came in, and there was nothing they could do. And then there was even one guy who was hiding behind the coat rack, and he tried was trying to sneak out when everybody was uh, preoccupied. But he's trying to sneak out through this window, and there's somebody standing right in his way. It could have been a cop, or you know, right? And like, so he just kind of resigns himself yeah like, it was like a coal shoot or something like that yeah. it's just yeah it was a tunnel that went up to the street yeah with a grate over it and there's a cop standing on it so he's like mm. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's that's a great that's probably my favorite scene in the film um the uh the um inspector um loman yeah uh who was played by um otto Wernicke, who uh is like this kind of I, I, he's the kind of cop or the kind of cop character that you can see. Like he's good at his job, takes it seriously, right. but he's also got kind of a wry sense of humor mm-hmm. that helps him get through his, you know, admittedly tough career of like dealing right. with all these low lifes. And we don't have to zoom in on this. Do you know what I mean? Like we could be doing anything else. We could be seeing another child be killed, or we could be following um, Beckert around as he's you know doing something else, or like stalking kids or something. But instead. Right. We go and we visit this class of society. The something that got me is that we've got Laurie, we've got Wernicke, um Gustav um, Grungens plays um, the uh, the safecracker. Oh sure, the Schranker. Uh, who, by the way, was he was a Nazi? <laughs> Are you serious? Uh, yeah, Laurie also fled Germany uh, when the uh, Nazis came to power. Um, not really sure about uh, Wernicke, but yeah, uh, Grungens was, um, he became the director of the National Theater. Oh, wow. So he was like, I look like it. Yep. I talk like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get in there. Uh, okay. Yeah. Take these gloves off. Yeah. And, yeah. Put this armband on. Uh, but um, but the fact that, that that's really important to Lang throughout the film in a way that makes me wonder, and here I go, I'm going to criticize one of the greatest films of all time. Maybe we hadn't really. Got, there's like this moralizing that you get in, in in tales in films like remember always brush your teeth or whatever it is right. that you lose by the time you get well now especially but by the time you get to like you know like American New Wave or even like 60s uh, French New Wave where it's like well there is no God or, or it doesn't matter or like people just do things or you know people make mistakes people are slaves to their own you know, desires and, and that's, we're going to look at that. We don't need somebody to come in at the end and go, here's what's wrong with all this. Right. And you, you get that in this film where it's clear that, and Lang does this in a lot of his films. He, he wants to comment on society and society is often a character in his films. Like mm-hmm. you look at Metropolis, it's all about like the divide between, it could just be about this rich guy who, well, it's crappy to have to work in a factory and look at a robot. But instead we, Follow, we're with the poor people. We're with the rich people, and it, it's very, you know, pointed at the end when, uh, what's his name, like brings them together. You know, mm-hmm. we're gonna change this thing, and so we spend a lot of time with those types of people, and it's great because every single one of those characters like has this. Uh, the call must have went out to all the theaters in town community theaters hey can right. your brother act <laughs> like because there are a lot of speaking parts in this film for people that you'll never see again right they just show up and do a little funny bit and they're gone right and it was shot in six weeks 
Really? Well, that was part of the thing where, you know, his last two films had been huge and cost a lot of money. And so, you know, you get this done fast. Yeah. And so having all these like this huge cast of characters and having the story told, you know, through each one of those people and not necessarily following. Because if this was made today, Loman, we'd open on Loman. He would right. f- find everything out. Mm-hmm. And then in so the noir fashion, which became um, uh, de rigueur, uh, you know, at the end of the film, he'd be like, that's why crime doesn't pay. It's, right. It's the stuff that whistling in the Mountain King, Hall of Mountain King is made of or, right. or whatever. We'd have to have some kind of commentary. But instead, he goes back to the lady from the beginning. Yes. Frau, Frau Beckman or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's take care of your kids. Yeah, I know. Like, what? <laughs> was I know. that what was that what this is all about? Well, I mean, it is in a way. Like, <laughs> if you don't take care of your kids, is... they'll become pickpockets. Well, no, I mean, I think it's more like look out for your kids, and if we all know. love each other, we won't have these societal divisions. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's like. <sighs> You know, they were really laid back then about like when kids got out of school, they would just walk home right, by themselves. That's, right. That's what that's plot and theme, though. That's what happens. Yeah. What's I know. what's it about, though? What's the theme about? Well, I think because he's showing like that criminals. He's showing that there's this idea of justice and what's right and wrong in society. And it's all relative. Mm-hmm. It's a kind of relativism that you wouldn't see. In a lot of in a Hollywood film in this age, you know, like I just said, the bad guy's gotta die, and then the good guy goes, "Well, he got what he deserved." Mm-hmm. And you've got all these people who are stealing watches, and and they're like, "You know, we we're hungry. We do this. This is a job. You know, this is my nine to five. I do this because." Right. And you get you get you know, they're a little scuzzy. <laughs> you get like a yeah. character like um like Franz, uh, who's right. He's a you know he's a burglar and he's uh, breaks into bank vaults or whatever and then mm-hmm. he gets caught by the cops and he's like yeah whatever like you're just gonna throw me in jail for a little while I'll get back out no no problem right but it's all about like the cops judge the criminals the criminals judge the murderer the murderer says you can't judge me right and there's even the part at the end when he's at the kangaroo court and he's making his argument and you know Lang takes pains to show people in the audience going. Yeah, I kind of I understand what he's saying. Kinda yeah, get, I kind of get that. Mm-hmm. He's he's saying something that really resonates with me, right? Or however you say that in German, right? <laughs> um, but there's a lot of other people who are like kill him or like well, you they know. yeah they flip on him real fast yeah. at the end, mm-hmm. which is another thing that the abruptness of the ending. I like the abruptness, but it leaves all those things unsaid, and there is no good answer for them certainly, but. You're the artist. Right. You're the filmmaker. Right. Come up with some answer. Right. <laughs> yeah, why do they uh, turn on him so quick? Um, Lang supposedly um, employed real-life criminals. Really? Yes. He. Well, you have to remember that this is like late 20s, early 30s Germany, so no one has a job. Okay. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Uh-huh. So the society at the time was a lot of people pocketing sandwiches <laughs> and probably stealing watches and stuff like that and he employed um he just went out and like found a lot of people who were you know actual like street beggars. street toughs and beggars yeah. and stuff and then put them in the show and supposedly the police raided the set 
and like oh arrested gosh. like 50 people. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So I hope it was near the end of the shoot. Yeah. No kidding. It's like, you can't take these people. We got, we got coverage. Okay. Well, I'll see you. Sorry. Right. <laughs> you would think they would sign something. They'd be covered, you know, like. Well, if playing. he was working for the, for the state, then it would have been fine. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Why is the rap that. party at uh at this camp? Yeah. What what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't need a shower before the rap party. <laughs> oh my god. Terrible. Uh oh. Lang was a real uh taskmaster too. Uh he was, was he? famous for um yeah, for being a, a taskmaster um both in Germany and in America. And it didn't it probably hurt him and probably um ruined some opportunities for him in America because you just didn't you didn't do you that. Didn't behave like to Spencer that. Tracy. Yeah. Um he famously like yelled at Marilyn Monroe on. Um, oh, I can't remember what the film's called, but the film that he did with Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, and he for um, working with Laurie, he um, was really rough on him. He um, apparently threw him down a flight of stairs. Oh my god! Um, for that scene at the end where he's supposed to look all frazzled, you know, in the Disheveled court. Disheveled and yeah. everything. Yeah. And then the scene where just watching it, I was thinking about like. You know, you have this today, but back then you wouldn't just cut, put the double in, and then they fall down the stairs or get thrown into a pile of logs. Mm -hmm. And then if they screw up and you can see their face, we just CGI it to look like it's, Tom Cruise. Right. Nothing against Tom Cruise. I know he does all his own stunts. But, right. Of course he does. You know, you were, that was you. Now, you probably had some Meisner training or something like that, some Alexander method. You know, you probably. Could, right handle physical stuff uh stunts mm -hmm. but when they were throwing him like pushing him down he's hanging out of the door you know and they're yes. like and then they pull him they kind of throw him down the stairs and he's kind of like being tossed around yeah that was him and they did that like 12 times oh my gosh and the last time like laurie was just begging him to like, please please hide me hide me <laughs> Um, I know this is very emblematic of the film, but I really like when the one beggar like takes the chalk and makes an M on his hand and then puts it on his jacket and kind of like marks him. Yeah. Um, I thought that was, you know, that's a really powerful image. Wait, um, wait throwing orange peels on the street. Yeah, right. Come exactly. <gasps> oh, is that where Coppola got it from? Maybe. The oranges. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that was a great part. Uh, and then, of course, I like how we, they, we see the network of beggars that are, you know, tracking Just him. Just following him. Yeah. He walks by the blind guy. The, yeah. The blind guy. The guy's yeah. like, lifts his glasses up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and the way that sound is used, I mean, people have talked to death about how they use the Grieg, you know, piece as a leitmotif yes. to sort of uh, signify him. Mm -hmm. So we won't beat that to death here. But the way that he uses sound to tell the story when you've only got pictures then you show somebody going hey what's going on and right. then you show the title card hey what's going on you show mm -hmm. the other person going huh what but you can get away from that when you can use sound instead yes and so you know peter laurie doesn't have to be on the screen when we're following a little girl who's looking That's in true. the shop windows we can just hear the whistling yes which i've heard two things I, I know that Peter Lorre can't whistle. Really? And my thing is like, glad you cast him anyway. But <laughs> first thing you're doing is you're casting a serial killer that whistles. Right. 
you might have not got that part. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Take a whistling class. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I've heard both that Lang himself whistled and I've heard that his wife uh, whistled as well. Really? Um, so I'm going to choose to believe it's both. Okay. That she was on set, you know, as the screenwriter. Sure. And honey, get in there and whistle. Um, but yeah, but apparently he couldn't whistle. But using sound for that, using uh, the, the, the part where um, Elsie gets out of school and she's going to um, cross the street and she walks into the street. Normally you would show her walking into the street. Then you mm-hmm. show a shot of a car coming mm-hmm. and you go back to her and then she would <gasps> right. jump out of the way. And we see a card that would say car honks or something or like get out of the way. Right. But instead she steps in the street and we hear honk honk and she goes <gasps> and then boom, a car goes by, which right. it was going pretty fast. Yeah, it was. Stunt actress. Uh, that just seems so simple and basic, but that's like the, the first time that that ever happened in movies, or mm-hmm. at least one of the first times. Right. And there are so many things in this that aren't, uh, maybe not first times, but are like solid early uh, establishers of things. Um, the the movement of the camera, and the camera moved in films before this, sure. but the way that he uses the, the camera's movement through the scene to help tell the story you right. know, we start on the kids singing the song and then the camera tracks up to the balcony and the right. lady comes out stop singing that song and then like goes up and things like that um when the people are all um get out of here the cops are coming and people all start running up the stairs mm-hmm. and some people go by the camera and then that one lady you know i think it's the prostitute character right like stops and then the backs of all the police officers come into frame as right. they push everybody down and then the camera follows them down the stairway into the crocodile den yes if that's you know i'm just thinking like goodfellas it's like the tracking shot right (laughs) it's like the kitchen shot in goodfellas yeah exactly and it's funny because they didn't have like the steady cam and all the crazy gimbal stuff that we have now so you Mm -hmm. can actually see like as you go in the camera kind of ticks 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 you know on its on its mount right it's not quite smooth but you can just tell that it's like wow they really wanted to this is what we wanted to do with the thing. Right. They're pushing the limits of like the technology that they've got. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, what was I going to say? I don't know. Um, you know, marking him with an M is kind of like, uh, the scarlet letter in a way. Like marking somebody, um, which I don't think that, I don't think that predates this, does it? I don't think it does. The Scarlet Letter? Yeah. Yeah. It does? Nathaniel Hawthorne oh, was yeah, okay. born a little bit before this movie came okay, out. Okay, all right. <laughs> um, fair enough. But um But the idea of like being branded, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean he could have done anything. He could have Cuz how many people are walking down the street with a chalk a mark on their back? I know, right? But he's like this is the guy. I know. What if he got a really pointed chalk and he wrote like a whole paragraph and just slapped <laughs> it on the guy's back? Because otherwise Wouldn't he might have, have looked in the well. he looked in the mirror and, <gasps> and like seen that, but it was like, oh, it's just a blob of chalk. Right. Well, I got to get that cleaned off. Well, I'll just l- keep walking around. Little girl who was with him, like she's like, I'll get it off you, Mister. And yeah. Like she didn't do such a good job. No, but also just the dramatic irony of you dumb bitch, don't do that. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. And I think, like, uh, Elsie Beckman, too, like, the thing about her, like, she was just, like, he was like, oh, what a pretty ball you have. And, like, you know, preying on her 
you know, vanity and that sort of thing. These and then, dummies will die for candy. And then he asks her what her name is, and she tells him proudly. It's no no stranger danger. Take care of your kids. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just weird that that's the that's the button. I know it is. Film. It is weird that it ends that way. If it well, it the fact that it's a a, a moral like that. If we because the whole thing is we we start with that, then we delve, we go down into the pit of this criminality. Mm-hmm. Literally, we go down into a a pit, a basement. Yes, and then we brought back out. We see that there are judges there are justices that are going to weigh in on this we don't find out what the verdict is no we don't but that's because we pull out again to the mothers of the dead children yes and if we just you know less is more mood spelled backwards is doom doom which i think is the same in german uh (laughs) and we just got like that whatever you the law decides loman's got another racks up another uh you know solved case uh, the bad guys are in jail or whatever, but it doesn't bring the kids back. No, and they do say that, doesn't. but yeah. it's just I don't know why it's just like, you take care of your kids. <laughs> you I, got, you I, gotta take care of those kids. I, I think they're just they're reminding you that there are dead children in this film. No, I know. Um, I think that's what they're doing. Um, and yeah, I know. Take care of your kids. So like maybe don't let them walk home alone. Yeah. By themselves. Do you think that the uh, the criminals get involved? Um, and it's cool to see them. You know, I don't know if they really really care that a child has died. Although I feel like they do. They do, but they they care because it's cutting into their business. Yeah. And this is brought out at the end when they put on this trial. I think it's funny that the criminals. You know who's who's better? Who's the best lawyer? A uh, criminal, a guy who's been to court a lot, right? But at the, instead of just killing this guy, they decide to assemble this court, which is like a dark reflection of a real court. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're affected by they're they're hunted. They're always constantly worried about having been in jail or going to jail. And so when the time comes for them to quote unquote pass judgment on somebody, they assemble a court. Yes. Like, why not just drop this guy in the river? I know. <laughs> Be done with it. I know. But yet they do that. And so, you know, I think that's a just a commentary on those sort of institutions that sort of guide us. And, you know, religion doesn't come into this at all. No. But that would have been, I don't think it's a missing leg, but that would be a leg that you could add to the stool. Mm-hmm. A five-leg stool. Sure. Extra stable. <laughs> if we had somehow brought that in. But it's, it's not brought in. The state stands up for that. Right. Um, let's talk about the best sequence of the film. Okay. Uh, when he gets trapped in this building. Yes. And the criminals just... Normally this would be where, you know, the cops are tracking this serial killer. They've got him. Now they got to get through and they got to get to him or whatever. But instead, it's just this cast of Motley characters who are employing their own special talents. Right. What is... uh, Close-up magic guy, do does he do anything? <laughs> they never bring that bad. No, back. They but don't. Uh, yeah, and so they go in and they just basically like systematically like go through this building to find this guy. Yeah, and they do find him. Um, but they're in the in the Look, meantime. You gotta you gotta lock your storage compartments, people. Right. Seriously, if you live in an apartment building, you got a storage compartment, get a padlock. Yeah. Although sometimes you're gonna go and get your old college textbooks, and guess what? Peter Laurie's in there. Yeah, there will be a serum <laughs> killer in there. Um, I love it that it's the last one and it doesn't have a lock and it's the last one they check. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> what else was it going to be? I, I know. It, they have to raise suspense somehow. Um, so, like, they, like, break into rooms, like, 
they'll like totally they'll not just like pick like a lock they will take off a doorknob that has a lock on it and right. leave a hole in the door yeah and then they also were like okay let's get into this other office space from above so they like take like a drill bit and are like hammering it in to make a hole yeah so they can go in and yeah. there's at least at least one bank in the building and they don't steal any money from it no <laughs> no they're there for one thing yeah exactly uh, they're very uh single-minded too I, it occurs to me too that you know um they're all very um uh industrious they all get right to what they're supposed to do yep um and you know the safe cracker is there leading the charge and right. he's dressed as a policeman yes so again they're taking on the look you know the methods of these people that they're trying to get away from it's just a neat yeah. little parallel uh, and again, they use sound in, in great ways, um, even to use it like to sell jokes, <laughs> which it's like that shows a lot of a lot of uh, understanding about how this stuff works. Yeah. I mean, it's all stuff that has been used on stage. And but it, translating that to film, I think, is showing like what Lang um, really understood and got about the medium. But mm-hmm. when they bring the night watchman in or whatever, and they're like, all right, how many night watchmen are there? And he's like, <laughs> I'm not screw you. I'm not telling you anything. Right. Okay. Close this door. Yep. And then everybody crowds up, you know, so you can't see what's going on. Yes. But they're looking, and then you hear, ah! yeah. Door opens. There's two more night watchmen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> no, it's pretty good. And um, then I think Safe Cracker like gives one of the guys a job. You need to like turn this key in like the clocks at a certain amount of time otherwise an alarm will go off right the silent alarm so you yeah. need to go around and do that and the guy who goes around and does that i think he was the the um pick, the pickpocket yes yeah from earlier in the film um he hears a sound in the attic and he's he like Gets so excited. Couldn't do that in a silent film. No. <laughs> and he like gets so excited and rushes down all the way down to Save Cracker and is like, he's in the attic. I heard him. Yeah. You know? Um, and so then they all go up there and he hears them and turns the light off and then goes and sneaks back. Into well, f- the- yeah, but it's not just about hearing. It's he's got his knife and he's trying fruitlessly to because um, I guess he's locked in. Yes. So he's. He doesn't necessarily know that they're right outside or that they're in the building and he's trying to get out of this thing. And as he's like, you know, working on this, he's trying to flatten a nail to use as a lockpick. Yeah. And then he looks up and that and the doorknob moves on its own. Yes. And he's scared. And like people that we were watching it with were like, (gasps) yeah, as well, because it's totally, you know, quiet. It's just totally silent. Yes. In a modern movie. Again, this would all be scored. You yeah. know, this we can't let a single second go by that we're not being stimulated, you know, audibly by, by something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a that was a great part too. Yeah. Um, and then like you see his face as they go through each locker and they just tear these things apart. I mean, there's it's just kind of weak older wood. So it's right. not that hard for them to it's a lot different it, and it's very similar to to now. <laughs> You yeah. go into the storage compartment in my building. It looks a lot like that. Yeah. Uh, people have chairs and tables and old crap in there. Sure. 
Although these were, it's weird because they're all offices. I don't. Nobody yeah. lives in this building, so I'm so not sure why they're keeping all these um, old storage. lamps and, yeah. and stuff like that up there. But that's what you'd see in like an apartment building. Yeah, that's and then true. they go down to the basement of this brewery, which is probably just a building in in um, Germany, mm-hmm. uh, to try this guy. And you see the brickwork and the old pipes and stuff like that. It's like that looks like the basement of my building. Yeah, it that does. was built a hundred years ago. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> it's feel except for the fact that. Um, the very European thing, the big sausages. Oh, that's another great um, joke, too, is yeah. uh, when they're trying to convince Franz that uh, the, the night watchman they tortured died. They're like, yeah, hate to tell you, but it doesn't look good. And he's like, oh, no. And they cut to the guy and he's like, mm, eat some sausages, drink some beer. Like third he's sausage like, yeah. or something. And we don't know if he's going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> but except for like the very European sort of elements, um, the coal pile and beggars and stuff like that. Right. This you could do this today. Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably except for I don't know cell phones or close well, circuit TV or something like that. Bit. But you could tell like this story today. Mm-hmm. It's it's timeless in that way. Yeah, and the way that it uses things that we take for granted now that we still use, but for then we're very um, new. Um, fingerprinting. They're doing yes. fingerprints. Mm-hmm. They're doing handwriting analysis. Yeah, which. The science of which is disputed today, but you know, back then they even used that to sort of they have that scene where the guy's basically expositing and he's saying, I think that he's probably like this. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, see Laurie for the first time. Yes. Um, doing that weird thing in the mirror. With his and he's, face. Yeah. He's making himself frown and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. That was weird. What do you think about him being a werewolf? Being a werewolf? I don't. I don't think this is necessarily in any scholarship or anything that I've seen. But I was just as I was watching it, I was thinking like he's kind of like a werewolf. He's like I guess got this whole he gets an I urge. Can't stop myself. Yeah, you stop me before I kill again. And then thing. he starts whistling and the werewolves whistle. I, I don't whistle know. wolves. Whistle wolves. And well, like we see him eating fruit, and then he sees the little girl, and he starts like whistling, and it's like he has the urge, and he starts following her and then she runs into her mother and then he's he's kind of beside himself because he had already decided he was going to kill her and now he doesn't have the opportunity to and he hells at the moon yeah <laughs> so no go so, on my werewolf I mean, theory <laughs> i don't know i think he could kind of be a werewolf like he's like you said he's um feels a compulsion to yeah. an urge you know, I was thinking, too, about the fact that the criminals kind of get the job done here, mm-hmm. but it's not really, I think the Nazis had nothing to worry about, because <laughs> it's not like, I don't feel like he's, Lang uh, and the, um, his wife are commenting on the inefficiency uh, of the police. No. Because the police have their, they they, kinda, they crack the case, too. They find where he lives. Yes. Um, using those procedural investigative techniques. Mm-hmm. But they're just not, their plan is just, well, he's got to come home sometime. Right. And then the criminals have a more active sort of thing. We're just going to go out and get this guy. Right. So it's not like he's saying, well, they the cops never could have done it on their own. No, they absolutely could You just could've. have these two forces that are acting independently of mm-hmm. each other. And I, I like Loman. He actually shows up again in um, Testament of uh, uh, Dr. Mabuse. Okay. Um, there's a kind of Fritz Lang cinematic universe, I guess. Sure. <laughs> He's the Nick Fury. <laughs> but I you know, I like the that character and I also like how we see him use the clues to 
help solve the case because mm-hmm. they find these cigarette butts uh, right. that that the killer smokes, and oh, this this has to do with a, a neat um, another neat camera technique because he's trying to figure out. I've heard this before. It's, they're called like Ariston or whatever, and he's like Ariston, and as he does it, like the camera pushes in, and he's like Ariston, and the camera pushes. In. It's kind of cheesy, yeah. but it you know, and then finally it it comes from the side, and then we get the full on shot of him, and he's like. I know what it is. And they pull up this old case file, yep. one of the previous murdered girls, yes. and it's like the same cigarette butt. Right. Now it would be the same vape juice canister. <laughs> I know this guy. Why did they just stake out all the candy shops? Oh, good question. I mean, they did question them. I Maybe yeah, it was too many. Um, there are quite a few within like a certain mile radius or kilometers, what have you. Um, I think it's interesting, too, his letter to the press. He decides to use a red pencil. Yeah. Like, why not just use a regular pencil or a pen? I think Why that, red pencil? It shows his, like, immaturity? Like, Yeah, I think that it has to do... See, that that's what I wondered why he writes the police, because we don't yeah. ever really delve too much more into his psychology until no. his speech at the end. I think that that's because... I think that's from hell i think that's okay. jack the ripper okay because jack the ripper wrote supposedly to... wrote to the police as okay. well and he wrote in blood supposedly or at least red ink mm, okay. and so i think that that's a kind of borrowed from that i see yeah okay anything else uh, about m i don't think so mordor <laughs> uber alice or whatever it is yeah it's uh, you've seen it before. I have seen it before. Yeah, yes. um, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. It might be my favorite movie. Really? Yeah, it's one of those movies that I find something new every time I watch it. Okay, sure. Um, I've seen it a million times, and I I was just this last time I saw it, I was really hit by like the, the you know the the blind guy got him. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's like, oh, you want to use a leitmotif, huh? Right. <laughs> Well, guess who's going to get you? Yeah, I know. A music fan. <laughs> and they even have that scene when he's chilling at the beggar's thing and he's got a, all the balloons are like tied to his table and he's having a little little nosh. Yeah. And they turn up the music and he's like, yeah, I like this music. Good right. stuff. You know, so it's like we, yeah, we go back to that. We establish like this guy knows his music. That's right. And then he hears that whistling again. Yep. Although if this guy buys kids stuff, he probably bought a ton of balloons from this guy. Probably. How long did it take this guy to figure out? This guy's whistling Greek. Come on. Well, uh, he... You're going to jail, blind man. Oh, man. Who's going to sell balloons now? (laughs) Why do you think he marked him with an M? Like, does murderer in in German, like, is that start with with an M as well? I think it's, you know, look at the poster. I mean, it's like, it's iconic. It is iconic. I also think that it's because they had a couple different titles for this thing and they all got shot down like okay. the nazis didn't want murderers among us right um he had a couple other ones like the murder look the murderer looks at you or something like that or um a city searches for a murderer okay and it was probably just what's going on yeah let's <laughs> just call it in right and then the nazis won't get mad plus we've got this element where this character does this so mm-hmm. let's just do that yeah yeah, and that makes sense. I think it's because the M, if you break the arms and you rearrange it, it's a swastika. Oh, my god! And that's, he, that's what it was. <laughs> Fritz Lang, Nazi fighter. <laughs> Fritz Lang always wanted to play with this stuff as well. When he came to Hollywood, he did a film called Fury with Spencer Tracy, and it's about a man who's falsely accused of a crime. 
and he's locked in a prison and like the climactic scene is like a mob comes to to get him okay you know and they try to burn the prison down to get oh, wow. to him and he wanted to i think he wanted to do that as you know it's like a lynching thing i see yeah i yes. don't know if he was gonna i mean there is no black actor that was at spencer tracy's level back then so right. i don't know how they would have done it but um what was Brock Peters up to? I don't know. <laughs> uh, to kill a mockingbird. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, but so it's it's supposed to sort of stand in for that. Okay, I see. So he was like, he was a poker. Yeah. He poked the, poked the bee's hive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He um, would alternately wear, uh, he wore a uh, monocle uh, in his younger oh, wow. years. And then in his later years, he'd wore glasses and an eye patch over the other eye. Like, I don't know if like. Did he have bad eyesight? So I don't or? know. Yeah, I don't know if like he was. Using this, this his his left eye was like yeah. this is the eye that I magnify. Yeah. Because I guess I'm too cool for glasses. Maybe the other eye was already. It's just like forget about it. This yeah. is no good. Right. And then when he got older, it was like screw it, eye patch. Eye patch. Yeah. That's crazy. But he's definitely a guy who would have been like, I wear an eye patch. <laughs> It'd be really scary to me then. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> That's bizarre. Um. And kind of quirky. Um. But interesting for a director because yeah. you need to be able to see. Too. Try yelling at Marilyn Monroe with an eye patch. Yeah, I know. See what she does then. <laughs> she got him back though because her um, Playboy photos came out like right around the time that movie came out. So that's all anybody talked about oh, boy. in connection with that movie. Okay. Yeah, a little targeted publicity will yeah. uh, do a lot for your career. Yeah. And so it was like great. Just want people to see my movie, and all they want to talk about is it's Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe's tits. Playboy. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. M. Uh, it's there's a Criterion. There's the one we saw was the um, the 111 minute one, I think. But okay. there is a 90 minute DVD version. But uh, yeah, the full uh, version is um, in Criterion. You can get it pretty much anywhere. Uh, and I would uh, definitely recommend getting it. I would definitely recommend it as well. It's very good. Yeah. It's very good. Um, Fritz Lang's movies in general are really very good. So mm-hmm. definitely check that out. And I guess that's it for now. Um, we'll be back again with um, something else that is overlooked or underlooked. <laughs> Uberlooked or yes. Unterlooked. Yes. Whichever one it is. Uh, until then, you can always find more episodes of Craft of Services at craftofservices.com. Uh, on the Just Enough Trope Network, justenoughtrope.com as well. You can find us on Facebook at Craft of Services, on Twitter at Craft to Service, no S. And until next time, take care of the kids. <laughs> you can take care of them. <laughs> Look after your kids. Thank you.